The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Happy Fourth of July, church. Independence Day. Yeah. Happy Fourth of July. I am, I don't know about you, but I am thankful that all of those years ago, that all of those men and women got together and decided that these knees were not made to bow before kings and queens. They were made to bow before the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. I am indeed thankful for that and all that we celebrate in this day. It is a joyous day. And I hope that, like me, you have plans to celebrate with family and friends of a relaxing beautiful day that we have today. Uh, Some people might think that it would be appropriate today to preach a message that very much focuses in on this 4th of July weekend with this 4th of July falling on a Sunday. Um, Key texts that many people will be preaching today will be Psalms 33 verse 12 which says blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and preaching about all the things that have happened in America and perhaps many things that will. And, and that is all good and great, assuming that the Holy Spirit of God leads the preacher to preach that. And, uh, but I just want to share with you this morning that I do not feel the Holy Spirit of God leading me to preach that, but I do feel God's leading to preach Acts chapter 2. So for that reason, I hope that you can take your Bible there as we all turn together to Acts, the second chapter. I don't know about you, but I know that sometimes I will read a particular text of Scripture, a text that I have read numerous times before, and in years past and decades past, I'll have a certain kind of thinking of like what I understand about this particular text. And, um, and then you read it again, and just the Holy Spirit has His way and has His work such that you read it and you, like, you get it then, you understand it. And you think to yourself, man, like all the other years that I've read this text, I have been really stupid. I mean, does anybody else think that about themselves? I know KJ does all the time, but you know, it's, no, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but I hope you'll be challenged today as I have in this familiar text as we see Christ championed in his word. So let us join together as we pray and ask the Holy Spirit of God to help us. Father, thank you for another day to be in your house where your sheep have gathered together to be fed of your word, to see that your word of truth is rightly divided, to find the guidance that we need, to find the encouragement that we need in your house. Father, I pray for the hurting among us right now. Be with them, Lord, comfort them, encourage them. Father, for those of us that you are correcting right now in our walk with you, remind us that whom you love, you chasten. Whom you love, you discipline. Remind us of that, Lord. Father, as we open your word now, Father, give us faith like a child. Let us enter your kingdom like that. Let us have a joyful acceptance a joyful awakening of understanding your word. 
we would receive it like a little child that has a faithful father who cannot lie, who has always been found to be good, and will be faithful forevermore. Jesus, we love you in this place. And it's in your name, the only name that we love, the only name that we bow the knee to, the mighty name of Jesus and all of his children in his house say together, Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have been talking about roots, about the roots of the church, what our background is, understanding clearly what it is that God's word reveals to us such that we can know exactly what our purpose is. We know where we've come from and we know where we're going, talking about roots. We begin in the book of Acts there in chapter 1. It began with a physician named Luke who was a very highly educated man and he was rather convinced of this man named Jesus because he had shown himself alive by many infallible proofs. It began with these roots of understanding that, that there were these disciples, these followers of Jesus that were, that were boldly and unashamedly, passionately obedient to Jesus. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. And 120 of them were together waiting in Jerusalem. Our roots are involved Peter being sharpened. A disciple who formerly denied Christ three times and then becomes this disciple that has this spiritual, deep spiritual, scriptural understanding that even down to the details of Judas, who was the one who betrayed Christ, knowing that, that the scriptures must be fulfilled, Peter said. Our roots are based on those things. Judas, we know, died in his suicide and was replaced by a man, a man by the name of Matthias. God was in, is, is and was and is today unstoppable in his plan. And thus far, those are our roots that we have seen thus far in the book of Acts. So now we are in the second chapter. So if you're there, look to verse 1, if you would please, where we read, and it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in, Je in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia... Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, from both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Dear friends, this morning, if you believe that this is the word of God, let all his people say amen. amen. Now this word Pentecost simply means 50. People have asked, what does this word mean? It's simply the Greek word describing the number 50. And the understanding was that it was 50 days from Easter 
to this Pentecost time in which the Holy Spirit, promise of the Father, Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, that it 50 days had passed, and even still Jewish people will, will celebrate the Pentecost feast 50 days after Easter. And the picture that we have painted here thus far is these people are together, they're being obedient to what it was that Jesus had told them to do, they're together, they have unity, they're praying, they're doing what it was that Jesus told them to do, the future is unknown, and then the Holy Spirit working through them causes them to begin speaking in other tongues such that in this place where there's all these other people, all these other people from all over the world, all these different places that speak different languages, they hear in their own native tongue the good works that God had done, the wonderful works that God had done. Now, it's very interesting to me, if you're ever discipling someone who doesn't know anything about Scripture, someone who's very young in the faith, and they are coming to this portion of text for the very first time, they have that kind of childlike faith that all of us should strive to have. When you read this to them, and you're sitting down with a Bible study over coffee, when you see a believer see this, the text, for the very first time here in Acts chapter 2, their response usually goes something like this. They say, that's amazing. You can't get two people to decide whether the sun's shining outside, much less getting 120 people to be in unity together. And there they were. They were in unity and, and, and they were just, they didn't even know what was going to happen. They just knew that the Holy Spirit was going to come and it was going to be a good thing. And Jesus says that it was good that I leave so that the Holy Spirit would come. And, and that's amazing that there were 120 people together and they were in unity together and the Holy Spirit chose to work through them such that the gospel was preached to all those people from all those different languages and all those different places. That is amazing. Surely God did an amazing work for the purpose of preaching the gospel on that Pentecost day. And it's awesome. If you ever have the wonderful opportunity to disciple someone who is young in their faith and to walk them through that text, just watch their response as they respond to the wonderful works that God had done, that God did on that day. But sadly, as church life for many of us wears on, uh, we don't really receive this. And I am certainly the champion of this, that we don't receive the Bible sometimes with this childlike faith. It will have many denominational connotations with it that will cause us to see it through a certain lens. And let me explain it to you so you understand what I'm talking about. Um, Acts chapter 2, and if you've been a Christian or you've been around church for a while, you'll know exactly where I'm going with this. This has become what I call a battleground text. This becomes a text in which there's two different arguments, there's two different camps of theology, one being the continuationist, Believing that spiritual gifts, believing that the Holy Spirit of God still works through people in this kind of way, through the means of tongues, through the means of prophecy, through the means of healing, and all of those kinds of things. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there is the cessationist, the person who would say or believe that the Holy Spirit no longer works through people in that kind of way, that those kind of miraculous sign gifts were only for a short time, for the beginning of the church, and that those gifts died with the apostles. And then some people in that camp will also say, maybe it didn't die with the apostles, but it certainly went away. The miraculous sign gifts, the Holy Spirit working through people in that way, went away with the completion of God's Word. It has become a battleground text. 
And hopefully for you, if, you, if, you're, if this is all new to you and thinking, Ben, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just think it's really cool that the Holy Spirit worked through the people in that way because they were willing, they were vessels, they were empty, they were in one accord, they were doing what Jesus told them to do, and the gospel got preached, and that's awesome. If that's your thinking, then just plug your ears while I'm talking basically for the rest of today because that's awesome. I'm glad that you have seen what's in the text and that you have not been influenced by denominational influences that would get you to interpret God's word differently. I hope that you see it like a little child church because I hope what you understand here is that when we just see the text, when we just see what is in God's word, we see something that is very different than this battleground continuationist or cessationist battleground argument text. There was a purpose here and the purpose was the proclamation of the gospel. So you say, Pastor Ben, what, it is, what is it that you're telling us this morning? I'm saying this morning that I believe that both of these camps have indeed been very, very wrong. And here's what I mean by that. Um, the Pentecostal church in which I was raised personally, many of you know this about me already, in which I was also saved, baptized, and even first ministered. You would be in those kinds of contexts and there would be these mosh pits of people loudly praying and speaking in tongues and I remember in those environments in which there is a special place in my heart for the passion and all that went on of of, of being saved and baptized in that background I, I understand all those things but I remember thinking to myself Paul said to the church at Corinth something specific, which you can find in 1 Corinthians 14, 27 to 28. And he said the, the instruction that he gave to the Corinth church was, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, let him speak to himself and to God. So in those Pentecostal environments where there would be these mosh pits of people loudly speaking in tongues, I would just think, man, I just, I just feel like maybe people have disregarded God's word. They, the restraint that the Holy Spirit threw Paul to write God's word that said there is this restraint and how this gift is used, I just feel like there's a complete casting off and disregard for God's instruction. How has it gone away from that? And on the other end of the spectrum, the Baptist tradition in which I am ordained, in which I am educated, in which I have ministered for the past several years now, and also have an incredibly special place in my heart, and have equally been in services where the worship begins to be sweet, and the Holy Spirit of God begins to move among the people and convict people of sin, and tears will be streaming down people's faces as they're for asking forgiveness, asking God to forgive them of their sins, and the Holy Spirit is moving and changing people's lives and making them more into the image of Christ. And, and I've seen the Baptist pastor see those environments and see things going that direction and, 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 and trying to keep the gospel in this intellectual cage will then get up very quickly and make it this dry intellectual thing where there's, where there's no movement of the Holy Spirit. And in, similarly in those contexts, I've thought to myself, you know, the Holy Spirit, God himself, through the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church at Thessalonica there in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, and it says very clearly, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit, our Lord says. So what I'm here to say to you this morning, church, is I believe that there is a ditch on both sides of the road. 
And I believe that this Acts chapter 2 battleground text is not what it is ever intended to be between the cessationist, between the continuationist of making a point and proving that the other person is wrong. I don't believe that that's what we see in God's word alone. When I look at the text, when I look at the Bible, everyone say Bible. When we just see God's word, what we see in its rawest form is that believers are together. 120 of them are together. They're being obedient to Jesus. That's what we see out of Acts chapter 2 when we see it through the eyes of childlike faith. We see these vessels. They didn't even know what was going on. I hope you caught the one part where it says there in the text we already read where it says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. They weren't trying to make a theological point with being there. They were just doing what Jesus told them to do. And it was the Holy Spirit's doing. The whole thing was the Holy Spirit of God using them. They were just there to be used of God. They were obedient. That was the atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit worked through them for the purpose, church, of gospel proclamation. That is the point, that all these people are together. Different languages grew up in different places, and all of them are hearing the wonderful works of God. That's what I see as the point of Acts chapter 2. So let us see it for what it is, church. Gospel proclamation. Our first point this morning, and I hope you write this down. The Holy Spirit's empowerment is vital for gospel proclamation. I believe that when we see this text as clear as we can see it with childlike faith, that much is true. If you believe it, say amen. The Holy Spirit's empowerment is vital for gospel proclamation. This is part of our roots, church. These are part of our roots as a church. This is how we are empowered to do such. And you know, it's kind of funny. I kind of recognize that I'm kind of a pink polka-dotted unicorn having had the background in the Pentecostal church and now obviously serving and ministering and having been educated and ordained in the Baptist tradition and all the rest. And, and I've had people that have just only grown up in the Baptist world and, and they'll look at me like I'm just like this rare breed of human with three eyeballs and they'll look at me and they'll like kind of do like that dog thing where they're like really curious and they turn their head sideways and they'll say things like what's the Holy Spirit like because you know because they think I've handled snakes which I have not nor do I condone and and they're just like what's that like and and what and I understand why they're asking but what I'll a lot of times look at them and say is the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus he's just like Jesus there are three, yet they are one. They are in perfect unity together. They are, he, the Holy Spirit is like Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his heart. That was his mission. He came to be a ransom for many, and he achieved it, church. Someone say amen. He came for the purpose of the gospel to achieve all that it was that the Father gave him to do, to be the great rescuer and hero of our faith that he is this very moment. The Holy Spirit is just like him. He's just like him. Listen to what Jesus says in John 16, verses 17 through 14. And as a matter of fact, if you're in Acts chapter 2, this would be a good thing to write down in the margin of your Bible, John 16, 7 through 14, where our Lord says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, someone say helper, the helper will come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will, listen to this church, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, 
of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. This gospel mission that Jesus fulfilled, that Jesus did and is now the hero of our faith, the Holy Spirit was simply the continuation of Jesus' work. And Jesus says to the disciples, go and wait in Jerusalem for this Holy Spirit to help in all of these areas to convict of sin for this gospel mission. I do not see, church, this battleground that Acts chapter 2 has become. I see the purpose of gospel proclamation being risen to the very top. If you're with me, say amen. The Holy Spirit's empowerment is vital for gospel proclamation. So here's the application for us this very day. We ought to pray for the Holy Spirit to work through us. We ought to pray for the Holy Spirit to help us. It was awesome. It was so awesome that those people, 120 of them together in one accord, worked together for the purpose of gospel proclamation. The Holy Spirit used them. And all these people have the gospel preached to them. Listen, we need that same kind of help to preach the gospel to the person at the grocery store, much less a bunch of people that don't know the same language we speak. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. And it seems to me that the prerequisite to be used of the Holy Spirit was that they were together in one accord, which is why we know that Jesus' favorite car brand was Honda. Ha ha ha, everyone laughed. They were together in one accord. And that they were also obedient. They were together in unity, and they were obedient. That's where we start, church. We, t- we gather together in unity, and we be obedient to Jesus, and we just let God do what God does. And I'll tell you what, it's kind of interesting when you look at the hit- course of the church history. I'm talking from like Pentecost all the way up until now. You pick out any time where there's been a gathering of people that have been together in unity. You take any time in history where you take there's a gathering of people in unity and they are just there with this notion of, man, we just want to be together. We just want to be obedient to Jesus. It's amazing the lost people that come. It's amazing the revival that happens in a church. It's amazing the people that get saved. And it is completely outside of the people. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. We ought to foster that kind of atmosphere where we're together in one accord, obedient to him. We need the Holy Spirit's empowerment for all of our life, but particularly this gospel proclamation that is elevated out of Acts chapter 2. So if you're still with me, look to your neighbor and say, let's read more. Look to verse 12, if you would please. So all these people have had the gospel preached to them. They've heard the wonderful works of God. And then verse 12 picks up and it tells us what happens next. It says, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. Let me just put the car in park right there for just a moment, church. Um, If you're obedient, if you're faithful, and you just want to do what's right, you just want to do what his word says, you just want to see this lived out in every single area of your life, if you do that, there will be people whom God is calling that are amazed. There will be people whom by the Holy Spirit of God that he is drawing them unto repentance to be partakers of this salvation that you and I are part of today. There will be people that will think just like it was all the way back then, it is amazing, this is an incredible thing that's happened. And there will be others that just think you're stupid. That will happen. It happened back then. It's happening today. 
if you seek to be together with God's people in unity, obedient to Jesus, seeking to be used of God, of his Holy Spirit, for the purpose of gospel proclamation, there will be some people who are amazed and perplexed. And there will other people that will think that you're so foolish, it's as if you are drunk. Let it be so. This is something I'm learning how to just be okay with. I think all of us as humans, we've got kind of this notion inside of us that we really like to be liked. We really like to be accepted. And I'll tell you what, church, what God is really teaching me and taking me through a season through of understanding is that it's okay if people think I'm nuts. It's okay if they think I'm as nuts as if I was drunk on new wine. That is okay. It hurts. It hurts when people think you're nuts for preaching the gospel and saying things like Jesus ought to reign over all areas of life. People will think you're crazy for living this Bible to see it true in all areas of life, to live your life through it, to see all of the world through that lens. People will think you're crazy. It's okay. It's okay. There will be, there will be people in both camps. Let, let them think that. They, they will think that. If you trust Jesus and follow him with your life and you seek to live your life through the authority, underneath the authority of God's word, there will be people that think you're crazy. Just expect, expect it. Fair enough? If it is, say yes. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. As best I can tell if I remember from seminary, that should mean about 9 a.m. in the morning, just as a note. Verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, Peter says. And it shall come to pass in the last days that God will pour out, that God says, excuse me, verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall, shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So if you're in Acts chapter 2, it'd be a good idea for you in the margin of your Bible, and perhaps it even references there in the bottom of the page of your Bible, it'd be good to write in the margin Joel 2, verses 28 through 32. That is the prophecy, the Old Testament prophecy that Peter stands up and says, that prophecy is fulfilled this day. Now, this section that we just read, it has a lot to do with time and with timing. And here's what I mean by that. Not only does this section help clarify for us when the Bible's talking about last days and the last day. Those are talking about two other things. This particular area of Scripture actually brings much clarity to a lot of other types of Scripture. And if you're a theology geek like me, then it just gets you really excited. But Because it underst we understand then, based on what Peter said in reference to that Old Testament prophecy, he says, these last days. So what that tells us is that from the day of Pentecost all the way up until very right now, the day that we're in right now, this 4th of July, we are in the last days. That is the age in which we are, this church age, the last days. So it helps us understand that in Scripture. And then it differentiates that from the awesome day or the last day. This would be the return of Christ, the day that all of us hopefully 
are looking forward to this morning, church. If you are, say amen. I know I am. I'm looking forward to that day. So it helps us understand some of those large-scale redemptive history pieces and reference of what those words and phrases mean. But this section dealing with time also has a lot to do with our personal walk with God. Think of what those people back then were going through. There was Roman persecution. And there were some tough days back then for them. And they were praying prayers like, God, when are you going to come? When is this Messiah going to come and release us from this bondage? When, when are we going to be released from this darkness that we're in? When, are we going, when, when is our avenger going to come? When is our king going to come? When's this root of David as prophesied in the Old Testament? When, when is this Messiah going to come about? And, and I'm sure that a lot of them were praying things like, God, have you, have you forgotten your people? Have you forgotten your chosen people? You took us through the wilderness those, all those generations ago, and here we are just to land in this area underneath this Roman persecution and deal with all that we're dealing with and being persecuted for our faith, and you got this corrupt political, spiritual, religious leadership of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the scribes and the lawyers back then that were just really super corrupt and making it really tough for God's people. And, and I imagine they thought to themselves, I wonder if God has lost his wristwatch. I wonder if God has lost track of time. And... But the day of Pentecost comes. Jesus accomplished what he came to accomplish. He leaves. He's ascended on high. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and then it happens. The Holy Spirit comes and then Peter stands up. That goofball of a fisherman that formerly was just lost as a ball in tall weeds, couldn't figure out what scripturally was going on. And then throughout the period from the time that Jesus rose to the time that Jesus ascended, it sounds as though Jesus showed him many with many other words he exhorted them. Luke says in the beginning of the gospel, in the beginning of the book of Acts, and, and now Peter has this understanding and he stands up and he says, it's happened. That Messiah was here. This Holy Spirit has come. The church is now birthed. This day has come. And it was right on time, church. If you believe that God is right on time, say amen. You compare that to the way that many of us are right now. At least I know I am of Man, you get kind of tired of this world. Not in a suicidal kind of way, but in the kind of way that man, you're, you're really looking forward to the day when all things will be made new. When all things will be made right, all this deception will be seen clearly as light as day, the day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And you pray these prayers like, Lord, do you not see all the darkness? Do you not see the child sex trafficking? Do you not see all the mess that's going on? Have you forgotten about your children? Have you forgotten about your church? But I just want to encourage us this morning, brothers and sisters, that God has not lost his wristwatch. He knows right when to make all these things happen. He will come back. The sun will return. Jesus is going to come for his church just in time, and it will be the right time. If you're with me, say yes. It'll happen just in time. And this is not only in this large-scale redemptive history and understanding what last days and the last day or the great and awesome day of the Lord. Not only does it have to do with our personal walk of what the believers are doing back then, the children of God are doing back then, and what we're doing right now, but even in your most personal walk with God. Dear single person that is praying for a godly spouse, God's not lost his wrist watching when he's bringing that person to you. 
person that's waiting for promotion at work and you're working hard and you're working diligent and you're doing your best to provide for your family and you need more financial ability to be able to care better for your family. God has not forgotten those things. He'll bring it about in his perfect timing. And even if he doesn't bring about some of those earthly things, God, his sovereignty is in control of this, dear friends and family, this morning. He has not lost his wristwatch. He'll bring about things in perfect timing. Whatever struggle you have this morning, and in a room this size with this many people, I know there's lots of different kinds of struggles. It is not promised to us that any great thing will come. I, I believe that God's plan is good. I, I do believe that with all my heart, that it is a good plan, saith the Lord. Plans for not our destruction, but for our good and our benefit. I believe that with all my heart. But that's irrespective of whether or not we get good things on earth. But what I'm just wanting to tell you this morning, church, is that, that God loves his children. And, and when you're going through difficult things and you're thinking, God, have you forgotten me in this? Have you forgotten this really terrible, hard situation that's causing a lot of hurt and a lot of heartbreak? Just know that when you're going through that, that God's eyes can see things that your eyes cannot see. That his ears are hearing things that your ears cannot hear. He is perceiving things that you are not perceiving. And I'm telling you that as a testimony, having fought a spiritual battle this week, and I'm thinking to myself, God, are, are you not going to come and work in this situation to make this really difficult situation better? And I, if I could have orchestrated it myself, I would have had God come in at a certain point in time. But now that I'm through it, and I look back on it, I understand that there was all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes that was, I was completely oblivious to. And God showed up right on time. If you believe it, say amen. This brings me great comfort, church, to know that our God is right on time. So our next point this morning that I hope you write down, the Father's timing is perfect in redemption and shepherding. The Father's timing. You say, Pastor, why do you call it the Father's timing? It's because if you remember back to Acts 1 verse 4, Jesus references the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father. Not only that, but we know even the timing of Jesus returning is of the Father's timing. The Father's timing is perfect in redemption and in shepherding, both in large-scale redemptive history and also our individual walk with God. His timing is perfect. Trust Him and be faithful. We'll see Him faithful in all these areas, church. So, the Holy Spirit's empowerment is vital for gospel proclamation. And the Father's timing is perfect in redemption and shepherding. These are our roots. That's, this is where we've come from. Hopefully that gives us some hope, some boldness, some trust, some faith for the future as we continue to walk in this life of trusting and serving Jesus. Verse 21. And it shall come to pass, Peter says as he's preaching, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. And we're not going to get all the way through Peter's sermon today, but this is probably my favorite verse out of the whole deal. Verse 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible. Somebody shout, possible. 
it was not possible that he should be held by it. So our last point this morning, the son's power is unmatched by all others. This is a root for us, church. This is the deepest root which keeps us firm through every kind of storm that the sun's power is unmatched by all others. If we have a toppling over in life because some storm in life has caused us some kind of heartache, it's not because that root was too weak. Jesus is strong in all of these things. The sun's power is unmatched by all others. If you think to any other group of people, any other religiosity system, There's always been a leader. You think of Buddha and Buddhism. You think of Muhammad and the Muslim faith. You think of Joseph Smith and Mormonism. You think of Charles Russell and the whole Jehovah's Witness and how that all got started. When those people died and went in the grave, it was not possible that anything else should happen other than their flesh would rot. It was not possible that anything else could happen but that. Just this past spring, I was... I was moving a pile of dirt that was by the barn with the tractor, and I, I had forgotten that I had buried a dead chicken in that pile. You didn't think you'd hear that in church today, but that's all right. Um, and I, as I'm backing over this pile to move it, I had forgotten that the chicken was there, and it wasn't very, I don't remember how long it was from the time that I buried it to the time that I had moved that pile of dirt, but it wasn't super long. And the thing that I remember thinking really surprising while I'm on the tractor is, man, there's nothing but bones no feathers, no flesh, nothing. I mean, it is bleach white, just bones from this thing that died. And I'm thinking, man, that happened quick. Like, that's amazing how quickly that process of decay happens. But, but when I'm sitting there thinking, no joke, this is what people who drive tractors and unburied dead chickens think about when you're a preacher. But I thought to myself, man, you know, it was impossible for anything else to happen but for that thing to decay. I didn't realize how fast it was going to happen, but man, that was the only thing that was possible for that thing. All those other religious leaders of all those other faiths that have had physical bodies that died, went in the grave, it was not possible that anything else other than what happened, the only thing different between them and that stupid chicken in the ground was that they left a legacy of deception. That's the only difference, church. It, but it was not possible that anything else could happen other than, that, other than that they would simply decay. But when it comes to Jesus, Peter stands up, bold now preacher stands up and says that when you put this man named Jesus in the grave by your lawless hand, by God's foreknowledge, knew it was going to happen for this purpose, you put him in the grave, it was not possible that anything else could happen other than that he would raise from the grave. When you put a regular man in the grave, his body will rot, his flesh will decay, he'll be a pile of bones in no time. But you put Jesus in the grave, and the only thing possible for that happen to that body is that it starts breathing again, Someone say amen for his power over sin and death. He is awesome for it, church. There's nothing else possible that could even happen other than that he could be raised from the grave. Because he is powerful over it. He is awesome for it. So my prayer for us this morning is that Acts chapter 2 would never become a battleground text. I pray that we see what's truly in God's Word with not a preconceived notion of what that is supposed to be for us. It is what God's Word says. It's about gospel proclamation. It's about a powerful Savior. It's about people being together in unity. Empty vessels just seeking to be used of God. It's about the Holy Spirit doing things that the people didn't even know what was coming, church. It's about the Holy Spirit's empowerment that is vital for gospel proclamation gospel proclamation say those two words with me ready set go gospel proclamation 
Let us never make it anything other than about that church. It's about the Father's timing that's perfect in redemption and perfect in shepherding. We can trust him in the timeline in which we find ourselves in redemptive history. And we can, find, we can trust him when we go back today and are having issues in our family of all the things that we have to go back home to. It's about the Son's power being unmatched by all others. So would you stand and bow your heads as we pray and come to the music? Because the question I really want to ask you this morning is are you in that? Because you naturally, in your sin, it's not possible that anything else other than your destruction would happen. It's the only thing that's possible. It's the only thing that can happen. Unless you're in his likeness. Because if you are in his likeness, the same thing that is only possible for him and that his dead, buried body would raise to life, if you're in him, that's the only possibility for you too. And above all these things, church, above all these scriptural interpretations and seeing all this in the history of the church and all over it's the thing that I am most thankful for is that when this sinful man, Ben Sweeterman, dies and goes into a grave, that because I am in him, because I have repented of my sin and I've turned to trust the Savior and his way for my life, because that happens, it is impossible. It is impossible, church, for anything else to happen other than that I would be in the presence of Almighty God, that this body would be resurrected in the perfect likeness of my Savior. I wonder if you're in that today. I hope that you are. I hope that you would repent. I hope that you would trust him so that you would have new life. Let's trust him as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this clear, clear outline. Thank you for this clear way you've left us to remind us where we've come from as a church, to remind us where we're going, and to be the beacon of light, to be your bride that calls out to the lost world to say there is life in you. There's grace and mercy in your name. Father, should there be anyone here who is destined for destruction because of their sin, show them the truth that there is nothing else possible for them other than destruction. But if we are in you, if we repent and come to the cross, if we say that we're sorry for all the sins we've committed and we give our lives to you, Lord, your promise is that you will freely and abundantly pardon. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you have paved that way for us that we might know you, that we might worship you, and that our end, our physical end, will have no possibility other than having the end that you did, which was resurrection, which was power over sin and death. I am thankful for it, Jesus. I love you for it. And I'll preach your word because of it. Because I could never imagine the horrors that were waiting for me, Jesus. But you've saved me and you're a hero. You're a redeemer. And I love you for it, Jesus. Father, convict people. Let your Holy Spirit convict people of sin in this place. I do pray. Remind them of the hope that is in your name and only found in your name. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all the church says. Let's worship together as we respond to the Lord with thanksgiving over what he's done.